0: Season to you. Merry Christmas season to you. And I hope you're well today. Uh, thanks for being here with us. Um, guys, we wanted to um, say that we hope you have uh, great plans uh, coming up. How many of you are going to be uh, traveling over the course of the Christmas season? Anybody at all? Okay, great. A lot of people. Great. Um, a lot of our students are already gone, so please pray for them. And uh, even as they're gone, um, pray for not only them but also yourself. Like that, as the Christmas season is upon us, and you're enjoying time with family and friends, that it's a time that we go deeper in our relationship with Jesus. Right during our vacation times and our vacation months. It's easy just to let everything go to the wind. But what we want to do is we want to actually go deeper in our walk with God during this time rather than taking steps back and scramble in 2019 to get our feet underneath us again to press forward. So please be in prayer for one another. We'll be in prayer for you and we're going to celebrate together. I and my family will be hunkered down here in Chicago and we'll have actually our uh, brother, my brother-in-law coming um, to see us. So that'll actually be good and fun and exciting. So um, what we're doing now, if I don't know you is um, we are going through a series for the holiday season, the Christmas season called Declarations of the Advent. And my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here. If I don't know you, I look forward to getting to know you. But we are doing this because of the fact that the Advent is specifically a time of year where we're celebrating the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a time that's set apart, not only to celebrate his coming, but also to reflect on what it means for us and actually how it should change our lives. Lives, our lives, hearts, and how we should order our lives around him. And so for the past several uh, weeks, we've been doing a declaration series just talking about the different declarations that Christians should have, things that should define them and order their lives, things that God himself has said about either himself or his people that should really be a stamp on us as we're trying to order our days. And specifically, when we talk about declarations of the Advent, we're talking about things that Jesus himself represented and declared declared um, about himself whenever he came, and things that should define us as his people because of his coming. And so last week what we talked about was a declaration that I will in fact prepare myself for the coming of the Lord. Just as Jesus came um, over 2,000 years ago and made an entry into history, he is also coming again. He's also making a return. And so as the people of God, and even as the world, we want to prepare ourselves for his ultimate return. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about another declaration that we should make as the people of God, which is my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, that my spirit my inner man, or if you're a woman, your inner woman should in fact have a rejoicing about it in God your Savior. And part of the characteristic of a Christian or somebody who's come into the life of God is that they're actually through the Holy Spirit, by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, filled with a supernatural joy. They're filled with a supernatural joy that's not based on circumstance, it's not based on their present state, it's not based on their health, their financial state, it's not based on even their present or temporal relationships, but it's based on the eternal work of Christ because of his coming and then his ultimate return. And so today, if you're taking notes, we're going to break this into two sections. We're going to talk about, first of all, reasons to rejoice. Because if we're going to be people of joy, we need to know the reasons that we actually have to rejoice. And then number two, if you've been a person who's walked with God for a period of time, but somehow lost that joy, we're going to talk about renewing that joy. How to, in fact, renew that joy, the joy of his coming and his salvation in your life. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and God, we thank you that in your word you've given us reasons to rejoice, that we should really say, just like the early Christians did, that we have a spirit that rejoices in God our Savior. So God, we're praying that you would bring us to that place today, you would help us live in that place as we leave this place, and God, that you would help it mark our lives for your name and your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the Advent season is basically divided into the four weeks prior to Christmas. And this week is the third week prior to Christmas Day. And it's traditionally known as Joyful, the um, the week that celebrates the Joyful coming of the Messiah. Now when we talked last week, we talked about making preparation, but we talked about two people who were making preparation for the original coming of the Lord. Number one was actually John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who basically John the Baptist was going to be a forerunner preparing the way of the Lord. And it was a prototype for us of the way that we as Christians should also help others prepare for the coming of the Lord. But it was also an annunciation, right? And Every one of us were celebrating the annunciation where Gabriel came and spoke to the Virgin Mary and said, you are literally going to be the carrier of the Christ. You are going to be a virgin who's with child, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. There was a miraculous event that took place before she had been with her husband-to-be, Joseph. There was the Holy Spirit that came upon her, and she was found to be with child, so that in the immaculate conception, what took place is that this Christ, who would be born, would be two things. Number one, fully God, by the Holy Spirit, and also fully man. We talked about that last week, right? But what we also um, understood was that there was joy that came out of that Annunciation. And after the Annunciation, where the angel Gabriel announced that the Virgin Mary would be the mother of the Christ, we see what's called the Magnificat. The Magnificat. How many people have heard of that before? Okay, It was the song of Mary that came out of her rejoicing about what the Lord would do in her. And it was a precursor of the ongoing song that should come out of our hearts as we understand the work of God in and through our lives. So if you have a Bible today, let's read together, starting in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. This is when Mary, who had received the Annunciation, is going to her cousin Elizabeth who was found to be with child, and she was preparing for the coming of John the Baptist. It says this, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. Okay, So this is Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist-to-be, and Elizabeth, who was formerly barren. And then by God's power, she was able to conceive through her union with Zechariah. And now they're having John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is being um, formed and shaped in the womb of Elizabeth. And as she hears the sound of Mary speaking, the baby, even within her, before he's born, is leaping with joy in her womb. And she said this, of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. This is her song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name." to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. All right. So first of all, we've got to have reasons to rejoice. Now, whenever God's coming to Mary, she was different than Zechariah because Zechariah immediately responded to God and his promises with a little bit of doubt, right? He was like, "Listen, my wife has been barren for years. You're saying I'm going to have a child after all of these years? Listen, I'm an old man, my wife's an old lady. You know, she's gone through her, what my mother calls her ne- uh, like natural or like her personal summer, you know, her body shut down." You know, and she- she's not in a place where she can have children anymore. But God says, listen, I'm speaking to you that you're going to have children. I'm speaking to you, and until you come into a place where you're in agreement with the promises of God, you're going to be silent, right? We talked last week about people needing to find their voice by coming into agreement by faith in the promises of God. Now, we see that Mary responded differently. She said, listen, bless the, like God, you've recognized my humble state. I've been a servant of yours. And I say, if this is your will for me, let it be done, right? And so all of a sudden, Mary is going to Elizabeth full of faith that the word of God would be fulfilled in her life, that the promises of God would be fulfilled in her life. And all of a sudden she said, blessed, Elizabeth to Mary, blessed is the one who's believed that the word of God spoken to her will actually come to pass will actually come to pass. And whenever we actually are in a state of faith and believing, then what happens is, is that we actually have reasons to rejoice. Now, when you look at the gospel, the gospel, yes, provides for salvation, which is the ultimate promise and the ultimate gift that God gives us, right? Through Jesus Christ and his entry into the world, the world that was estranged from him, the world that did not know him, the world that literally were objects of wrath, because of our rebellion against the holy God. They basically have the opportunity through repentance and faith to be forgiven of their sins and set free from their sins to serve God wholeheartedly without fear because he says he's going to die on that cross. He's already done it for us, but for them it was a promise. He was going to die on that cross. He was going to be raised from the dead three days later to provide not only forgiveness of sins, but eternal life to those who would believe, right? That's the ultimate promise. But what other temporal promises are there, right? Because a lot of times we hear that and it becomes something that's merely intellectual. It's, we hear that and it's something that becomes merely positional for us, meaning that one day that's going to take place. But in between A and Z, as we talked about last week, there's a whole lot of doing, there's a whole lot of living, and I need something that's going to deal with my everyday life. But the good news is, is that when Jesus showed up, he says, when I come, I've come that you might have life and life to the full, or life more abundant, that there is a real devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But when Jesus was ministering, he said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full, right? And not that what Jesus said? Life and life to the full, So part of his coming was that I'm coming so that you might have life and have it to the full in between the point where you believe and the point where you actually ultimately meet Jesus. So what were the reasons to rejoice that he provided for us? Well, I listed a couple in my notes. Number one, John Calvin said it this way. He said, there is not one blade of grass. There is no color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice, right? When we look at even the beauty of nature and all of God's creation around us. It gives us reason to rejoice, does it not? That's the general revelation of God where God is showing his splendor and his glory even to an unbelieving world where scientists and people who are naturalists are having to contend with the fact that there is a creator that even if the Big Bang was the um, the beginning of all the universe, there had to be a source that started it all, right? Because matter can be neither created nor destroyed and when you look into the heavens, they declare the glory of God and everything in creation and pointing to the one who made it. It's pointing to the reason that we should rejoice in his creation and that everything that he created was good. Now we mucked it up, right? We messed it up, but God said, I'm coming to redeem it and put it back into right order. But God in his goodness gave basically creation as a playground for humanity that they might enjoy it, that they might thrive, that they might give glory to him and thanks to him for all that he's done out of his kindness and his goodness towards us. But it's not just that. It's in the midst of our sin, in the midst of us destroying and wreaking havoc on creation. He said, I'm coming to redeem and restore things. What kind of things? Number one, he said he's coming to redeem and restore or to save, which is his rescue, his deliverance, him making things that were broken whole again. He's coming to redeem broken families. How do we know that? Well, whenever Zechariah was talking about his son, John the Baptist, he said that he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers, right? He's coming to restore the very foundation of society that's causing all of the breakdown and the dysfunction around us. When the family unit breaks down, society breaks down. Isn't that right? Don't we see that across the board? But what Jesus comes to do is he said, in my coming, I'm coming to restore and to fix broken families by fixing the members of those families, right? By doing a work in their hearts. What else? He comes to deal with things like racism. Is that not an issue in our city? In our city, our city is literally divided in geopolitical lines because of racism in the hearts of people. But whenever Jesus comes, he says, I come to make the two that are separated and are at odds with one another one through this one man, Jesus Christ. I come to break down the dividing wall in a tangible way, when he changes the hearts of men and women, what happens is that love rather than suspicion, love rather than bigotry, forgiveness rather than hatred actually comes out of people and they're able to be not just reconciled with their God, but they're able to be reconciled with one another, right? Isn't that what he says through the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is a reason to rejoice. That you don't have to just be a product of society. You don't have to just be one of the statistics or go along with the norms of it, but you can be an answer to it because of what Jesus has done in you. It is a reason to rejoice. What else? Sickness and disease. Sickness and disease. Isn't that what he did? He came to save our bodies from sickness and disease. Now, yes, Jesus heals supernaturally now in the today's times, that even as he sends forth his word and heals people, we thank God for our physicians. We thank God for our doctors. But even in the midst of that, at some point there's a limit and he can supernaturally heal. If not in this time, then ultimately he said, you're going to have a glorified body when I come for you, that there'll be no more sickness, that there'll be no more disease, that I'm coming to make all things new, including your physical frames. And if anybody's ever dealt with sickness on a large scale in your your own body, or you've had family members who have, or friends or loved ones who have, how many people know that that is good news? right? He says that literally there's a reason to rejoice that whether now or later I'm coming and I'm providing health to your physical frame. What else? He said, I have a reason to rejoice because he comes to deal with systemic issues in society that cause poverty, right? Where we talked about several weeks ago, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, they're systemic issues that we all study about and that we can see in our society as a whole, and not just society, in our city, right? Systemic issues that are dealt with whenever the gospel comes forward and the people of God are anointed to be an answer to that, where instead of people being driven by greed, they're driven by kindness and generosity and love and sacrificial giving, right? Right? All of a sudden, we see that through the gospel, he brings a reason to rejoice for the poor of the earth. And also, if we feel that we're stingy and grappling with all types of greed that really turns in on us and destroys our own mentality or thinking, he says, I come to set you free from that, give you a reason to live bigger than yourself. Bigger than just your own pleasures or your own fulfillments, or like we talked about last week, your own security, that God has a kingdom that brings good news to the poor. What else? Things like depression and fear, right? He says in Isaiah that <coughs> He says in Isaiah that he replaces the spirit of heaviness. The heaviness. And Lord knows that's a that's a characteristic of our city, is it not? Just a spirit of heaviness. I always talk about having traveled the world and traveled even through different parts of our own um, country, that different cities have different principalities and powers that they're dealing with, right? Different issues that are uh, sub that they're subject to within those cities. Like, like, I was born in New York, and one of the things about New York is that if you've ever spent time in New York, it's like it's always frantic, right? How many people have spent time in New York? Okay, it's a frantic pace. It's like you go there and you're always hustling, right? It's like people are always trying to run over each other, g- trying to progress, trying to get somewhere. Chicago's a little bit different, right? Chicago, when you enter into the city of Chicago, you feel a heaviness about it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Even if you've not been able to articulate it, you feel it. There's a heaviness, there's a burden, there's something that affects your soul. The city's in fact called the city of big shoulders, right? The city of big shoulders continually carrying things and it's not just in the natural, it's in the spirit. And God's saying, listen, in Isaiah, I'm going to remove the spirit of heaviness and replace it with the oil of gladness. That supernaturally by his spirit, I do something in the hearts and the minds of men and women to give them a reason to rejoice. I can drive back the oppression that's affecting them and give them a spirit of gladness supernaturally in the midst of the oppression that they're trying to stand under. That is the good news of the gospel. Does anybody believe that? See, this is why we said there's an annunciation and then blessed is the one who is believed. That the word spoken to them can actually come to pass, not just in someone else's life, but in your life. That you can walk in this. That you can actually come into the good news of the gospel and have reasons to rejoice. One last one, I could keep going on and on, but how about this? Loneliness and purposelessness. Loneliness and purposelessness. That's the thing about cities too, right? Is that you're constantly surrounded by people. You're surrounded by people. Sometimes you don't want to be, but you are, right? Sometimes you just want to get away, but you can't. And the thing about it is, is that in the midst of even a city center, people deal with loneliness on a regular basis. Did you know that in the Chicagoland area, there are about 9.8 million people? In the downtown area alone, there are 2.7 million people. But how often do people talk about, I don't have friends? I don't feel like I can connect with people. I don't feel, I feel like I'm by myself, but here's the good news of the gospel. He says that through Christ's coming, he says, I've come to make a new family and I set the lonely in families. Even if you don't have it, he says, through my coming, I'm coming to set those who are, feel isolated and by themselves. I break down those walls and I set the lonely in families. And even if you come from a family that doesn't yet acknowledge God, doesn't yet acknowledge his ways or his purposes, he says, even when your mother and father forsake you, he said, God says, I myself will take you up. That's what the psalmist said. I myself will take you up. And I'll give you mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, hundred times as much when you leave things for the gospel and my sake. He says, I'll give you a hundred times as much in not the times to come, but in this age. In this age. Meaning now, look around you. He said, it's provision. You just got to come to the table and get it. Believe that the word that's been spoken is for you. Right? These are reasons to rejoice. Now, in the midst of that, what we see is also a lot of times we need to understand to have reasons to rejoice who we actually are in Christ. Now, um, on Pinterest, anybody use Pinterest? I do not, but I'm just saying that like it sometimes gives me a link when I'm on the uh, like Google doing my homework. And um, on Pinterest, they have all types of charts and maps that are helpful in helping you understand who you are in Christ. I particularly like this one. Is there a chart that we can show on today? There's a, a particular chart. If you look this one up, it's who I am in Christ. This is not mine. This is not something that I took the time to create, but it is something that we can all benefit from, right? And what we see is that it's gives you scripture on the left side and then on the right side a practical application of what it means and so part of the promises of God see when God gave his promise to Mary she had a reason to rejoice because he was defining for her who she would be for generations to come when you think of Mary you think of the virgin mother of Jesus right right you think of who she was defined by, by God, and the thing that would be celebrated about her. We do not worship her here, amen? amen? We do not, we honor her as another woman who was used by God. We do not worship Mary, but we do thank God for the way that he used her. And so what we see is that even in this chart, you can look this up and I ask you to go back to it later, it gives you further reasons to rejoice. It talks about I'm accepted in Christ, it gives you a whole litany scriptures, things that should be confessions off of your mouth, that I'm God's child, I can be Christ's friend, I've been justified, I'm united with the Lord, one with Him in the Spirit, I've been bought with a price, I belong to God, I'm a member of Christ's body, I'm a saint, I've been adopted as God's child over and over again, things on Advent, Advent and item, and you see all of a sudden these are things that can strengthen us, right? Go and study this over the course of your Advent season. Let it define you. It goes on to talk about your security in Christ. That you're free forever from condemnation. Assured that all things work together for good. That you're free from any condemning charges against you. Why? Because they've been paid for by Jesus right? They've been paid for by Jesus if you've come under his covering and his blood. That you cannot be separated from the love of God. That you've been established, anointed, and sealed by God, right? Does this encourage anybody? This is scripture. These are things God is saying about you and his people that you need to internalize that you actually have reasons to rejoice, right? Going on to the next one. Last subheading that you're secure in Christ and that you're also significant in Christ, dealing with the purposelessness that people deal with on a daily basis. Why am I here? What am I doing? What is the point of my living and the daily drudgeries that I have to go through? He says, you are significant in Christ. Jesus calls you the salt and light of the earth. Jesus said, I'm the true vine and that you would be branches, right? He says, I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I'm a personal witness of Christ. I'm God's temple, right? All of these things are declarations that were made possible by Christ's coming. And if you need to reorient your life and reorient what you think and see about your daily existence, you need to come into agreement with the promises God's already made towards you. And if you do, it'll give you reasons to rejoice. It'll give you reasons to rejoice. Now that's all well and good, but still a struggle, right? Still a struggle. We still live. Still have challenges. Still have issues. Right? Right? Anybody believe all that but still have issues? Okay. (laughs) All right, I hear you. (laughs) Me too. Me too. So what do you do in the midst of knowing all of this but dealing with something where it's like I feel like I'm losing my joy? Well, here's the good news. Here's the good news. He gives us ways to recapture and to renew the joy of that's within us. The question is, how do I renew that joy? How do I renew that joy? Well, number one, I'll give you at least three things. But number one, he gives you practical ways by going to that same word. Many of you remember a man named David, a man named King David, who was a man after God's own heart. And he not only loved God, but he wanted to do all that God commanded him to do. He's like, listen, God. If you said it, I'm with it. If you said, if you said you're about it, I'm about it too, right? Jesus, you're bad about, about it. I'm bad about, about it. That was David. But in the midst of his being bad about it, he also had some struggles, right? He also had some failures. He also had some missteps. And in the midst of those missteps, it came to snatch or rather steal his joy, right? big one that we know about is with a woman named Bathsheba. Anybody remember Bathsheba, right? David, a man after God's own heart, God had given him the kingdom and he unfortunately used his power and strength to commit adultery and kill her husband. Okay? And in the midst of that misstep, there's a bit of joy that was lost, but in the midst of that, he also gives us God's redemption plan. How do I renew my joy? I believe the promises that you have. You have But how do I renew my joy in the midst of my missteps? Well, the number one way is, we're going to give you three, but the number one way is that you cry out to God. If we look at Psalm 51, we see that in the midst of the coming or preparation in his context for the coming of the Lord, he cried out to God whenever he felt like because of his missteps, his joy was missing. He said this in Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Has anybody ever, like literally, been on a path with God and actually been joyful for a moment, but then actually ended up in some sort of sin and it threatened the joy that you once found yourself walking in? Anybody all? Or am I alone? Okay, it's sort of like it literally comes to steal your strength because the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. But when I'm in sin, it comes to steal my joy, right? And then if it steals my joy, it also steals my strength. And then it starts a vicious cycle that I find I can't get out of until I cry out to the Lord. And this is what David's doing. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. God, because of your coming, I can cry out to you and I can say, basically, listen, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. And a transgression is different than an ordinary sin because a transgression is actually knowing what you should do and doing what's wrong anyway. It's not an unknown sin or something that you did in ignorance. It's like, I knew better and I still did it. Anybody ever been there before? I knew better and I still did it. Well, here's the good news of God's coming. He says that in the midst of that, he can, you can cry out to him that he might renew your joy. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. See, they're, not, they're obvious to us. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He said this, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I mean, he was born into sin, whereas Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and he was the only one who was sinless from birth. You see, David was different. We're all different than Jesus because we were born into sin. We are born into rebellion. We are born into a nature that was bent against God. And our life is consistently trying to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, like, through, receive his grace that we might walk in a way that's in alignment with him, reoriented around him. This is what David understood. He says, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He says, though I'm a man after God's own heart ultimately, he says, In sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in my inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than so. Let me hear what? Joy and gladness. God, that's the cry of my heart. Even in the midst of my wrongdoing and sin, I'm asking you, let me hear. Joy and gladness. I know I've gone astray, but let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. But then he says this very practically what I can't do for myself, I'm asking you, God Almighty, to do in me. This is the good news that God doesn't expect you to have a heart after Him on your own. If you've tried it before, you, like me, have probably failed, right? Having a heart after God in your own strength does not work. Having a heart devoted completely to Him and His purposes in your own ability does not work. You need God Himself to infuse you on a daily basis, to get in His face to have Him breathe life into you, that you might do it. That's why Jesus says aside from me or apart from me, you can do nothing. It's got to be relational. It's got to be relationship-oriented and not just academic. It's got to be coming to God as the living person that he is and asking him as King David did, saying this, hide your face not only from my sins, but create in me a clean heart. God, I'm asking you to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. In doing so, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors, like me, your ways, and sinners will return to you. God, because I'll once again remember that which the reason that I have to rejoice. And that reason that I have to rejoice will be my strength. Number one, you've got to cry out to God. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to speed through the other ones. Number two, you also have to meditate and reflect on what Jesus has done for you. That's why we give you a chart, give you a list as a reference so that you can in fact meditate on the Word of God. Let it transform you. And when the Bible talks about meditation, it's not just thinking about it and then letting that thought pass. When the Bible talks about meditate, it was a word used like as a, an analogy for cows. You know, cows have multiple stomachs. Anybody know that? Okay, a piece of trivia. That'll like, get you the last piece of the pie. Okay, so it's like like basically cows have multiple stomachs. And what happens is as they're eating the grass, it literally goes from one chamber to the other. And they're able to digest it over and over again until it actually becomes part of them. They're able to suck out all of the nutrients that are actually coming out of that food. In the same way, that's what God's saying about us in meditating, that you let it go over and wash you again and again and again until you're squeezing out of the Word of God all the nutrients that it has for you. For your spirit man or your spirit woman. He said, You've got to meditate on that which God has done for you. I love Isaiah forty three, just as a reference. There are plenty of things, but this is one of my favorites, so I wanted to share with you. He says that, but then starting at verse one, he said, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, which means to buy you back. Meaning, you were sold into slavery because of wrong decisions or sin. But he says, even in the midst of that thing that tried to steal your joy, I can buy you back. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have, this is beautiful. For all of our, like, millennials love personalization, right? In all of our marketing, we love personalization. And so he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. This is the millennial scripture. I have called you by name. You are mine. I have called you by name. You are mine. And the thing that He's doing is He's reminding us over and over again that even if you're thrown to the farthest heights as you continue to read that scripture, the farthest ends of the earth because of your sin, He says, from there I can bring you back. And then finally, the um, third thing, just for the sake of time, that we need to do if we're trying to come back to a place of joy, is not only cry out to God, not only meditate on what Jesus has done for us, but then number three, what we can do, what we must do, is we must communicate with other believers so that you might intentionally remind one another of the reason for the season. You've got to communicate with other believers. See, again, we say this over and over again that you're not meant to do it alone, that the point of coming to God is that you would come to Him as the head, but then you would come to His body, meaning His people, as your everyday expression of that. And what we see Zechariah doing when he was renewed in his joy because of the birth of John the Baptist, his son, is that he didn't just allow Mary to have a song, he had a song himself. He had a song himself that he began to sing, but it wasn't a song that he just personally sang in the shower. Anybody sing in the shower in here? Have your own personal time and sing your favorite ballads. Okay, it wasn't what Zechariah did. Zechariah went out of the shower, and he actually started to remind the other people of the reason for their rejoicing. And we'll end there today when We look at Zechariah's song and he said this. And Zechariah, his father, after John the Baptist's birth, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he he prophesied. Meaning he declared the word of God to not just his own spirit, but to others. He prophesied. This is uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. He said, Blessed be the God, I'm sorry, be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, even fear of failure, that yes, you can do it, right? Yes, you can serve him in freedom and without fear by the power of the Holy Spirit that will come and make a home in you and by the power of his word that you put your trust in that he might keep you according to that promise. And he says, and you, child, talking about John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, which is the last week of Advent that we'll be talking about. But he says to guide our feet into the path of peace. And when God returns joy to us, I mean, that's a beautiful thing, but not only does he give joy, but he gives peace. And peace is what we'll talk about next week, but peace is what we all not only desire, but it's what we need. And peace, the shalom of God, is literally tranquility of soul. It's a tranquility of mind. It's a harmony of what's going on inside of you. And some of you in here have been looking good on the outside, but inside of you there's been a wrestling, and it's like a storm brewing on the inside of you. And it's like you can't escape it because you can't escape yourself. And the good news of the gospel is that when Jesus shows up, he comes to not only provide joy, but he comes to provide that peace. He comes to provide that peace and still the storms that are raging, not only externally, but also within. Also within. And when we look, reflect on all of those things, those are reasons that we have in the Advent and beyond to rejoice. To rejoice. But just as it was said to Mary, it's got to be said to us, blessed is he or she who's believed that what was spoken to them will actually come to pass. And that's what we're going to be. People who believe, believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So as we believe, let's go back into worship and then we'll have a time of communion where we're saying yes and amen to him.